Hey, greetings, and welcome back to Patriots of the Core podcast. I'm Thad Forster, and you're listening to episode number 71. This is the podcast that used to come out every two weeks, and now it comes out whenever I can release one. So it's definitely been a while. So before I get in with Jeff, I wanted to ask you to please consider going to iTunes or Stitcher or Overcast or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if it allows you to rate my podcast, please rate it. Just go all the way over to the right. Five stars. If you can write a review, please write a review. That helps me tremendously, helps me to be found. And also for more information on this episode, you can go to thadforrester.com forward slash Jeff Kyle. That will give you the show notes and will give you links to things that we talk about in the show, like his businesses, foundations, and anything else that anything else that we may have mentioned in the show. So almost all of my audience is familiar with Chris Kyle. Uh, he's also kind of nicknamed American Sniper. There was a book that he wrote called American Sniper, and then a movie came out directed by Clint Eastwood, starring Bradley Cooper as Chris Kyle. Well, I read that book shortly after it came out. I watched the movie when it came out. After I saw the movie, all I thought was, what about his brother, Jeff? That's who I want to talk to. Chris got all this attention, very high-profile death when he was killed after he returned home from a deployment while he was trying to help someone who was struggling. But what about his family, the rest of his family? His, his wife was absolutely highlighted in the movie, and the movie did a good job of showing the struggles on a marriage, the struggles that, that the military life, that deployments can have on a, on a family and on relationships. It didn't say much about he and his brother or, or his parents, and that's what I was curious about. So one gold star brother to another is what this episode is about. I wanted to find out about Jeff about his early life, about growing up with Chris, about why he joined the military, why the Marines, and then also the effect that Chris's death had on him, and then some specifics about the movie. What decisions did he have in the movie? How he felt about the actor who portrayed him? All that kind of stuff. And big thanks and shout out to Alexis Allen for connecting Jeff and I. She's been a big supporter of Mark's Foundation and of the podcast, so thank you very much, Alexis. So that's what we're going to talk about here. I hope you enjoy. Jeff, I like to talk about growing up and, you know, as a kid, did you grow up in a small town? And what, what were some of the things that your parents taught you? So we did. We grew up at the time. It was a fairly small town. Um, you know, it was probably one red light in the town at the time. We, uh, everybody knew each other, you know, all the all the parents knew each other. Half of them were on the school board, and you know, so it was a it was a tight knit community, and everybody kind of helped each other out. We uh, we were cattle ranchers growing up, so you know, we had had some acreage and had quite a few cows. We were spending so much money on feed that uh, it was cheaper for us to actually buy the feed store and have our feed you know at a at a cheaper price and so we were able to you know not only help ourselves but we helped out a lot of the other farmers and ranchers around the town around the community um helped a lot of the ag kids and everything like that so so that was good um but uh our parents raised us you know to to be hard workers and you know to respect our elders and 
you know, definitely respect our military personnel and our first responders too. You know, a lot of the community was Vietnam era veterans. And so, you know, we, we would always sit around and listen to them and, you know, talk with them and admire what they've done. Um, a lot of our close family friends were either firefighters or police officers. So, you know, we were raised around that and, you know, the respect of that. So, but we were, we were just, you know, simple people and, you know, had to, had to put in a hard day's work every day and to, to have anything. So, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was pretty simple and, you know, enjoyable. So y'all were like just country boy strong. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Why did you join the military and, and why did you choose the Marines? Well, I always wanted to be in the military. Um, and for some reason there was never any doubt, any question about what branch I wanted to go into from the time I was probably seven, eight years old. I always had Marine Corps posters in my room and, you know, I would, uh, I'd get Marine Corps stickers and put them on things. And I actually, one of my good friends growing up when I was a kid, his dad was a Marine. He was a a recon Marine. And listening to him and listening to his stories and just seeing the way he held himself and presented himself, you know, I, I admired that. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted, I guess being around him is really what, uh, what solidified, you know, the route I wanted to take and being in the military itself, you know, there was, there was never any doubt that that was something that I wanted to do, you know, whether it was right out of high school or a little bit later, but, you know, I always knew that that was, that was a, a direction I was going to go at some point. So what did you do? Did you go right out of high school? I didn't. I considered going right out of high school. Uh, a buddy of mine wanted me to go in on the buddy program with him straight out of high school. Uh, looking back on it, I'm glad I didn't. Um, I was kind of a, was kind of a little prick <laughs> at that time at that day and age. And, you know, I definitely don't think that mentally I was ready to be in the military. Um, I went through a stage that I, you know, I didn't, didn't like any authority. And, you know, I mean, I know they would have, they would have broke me down either way, but, uh, you know, I went ahead and, uh, went out on my own and moved away from home and, uh, worked on a bunch of ranches and kind of experienced a little hardship in life before, before I decided to go in, you know, and I, I actually went to San Diego, landed at MCRD in San Diego six days after I turned 21. So I was kind of one of the old guys in boot camp. Yeah. How did your parents deal with that? With, with with your little your rebellious period and maybe before you went into the Marines, oh, <laughs> uh, you know they uh, they definitely weren't happy with it. You know, Dad, my dad was very strict on us. You know, he he was a uh, a very rough 
you know, he didn't beat us or anything like that, but he was very strict, very rough and, uh, you know, in our face, things like that. So, you know, it was, it was a constant, uh, headbutt between us whenever I was, you know, in high school, things like that. And, you know, my mom, you know, she's, she's very quiet, very laid back and just the sweetest woman on earth. But I think I brought out the, brought out the evil side in her because she would, she would definitely not waste any time to, to grab me by the arm or smack me upside the head or, you know, wear me out, whatever she had to do. But, uh, yeah, they definitely weren't happy. Did they ever take the belt to you? Well, I never, I never got whooped with a belt. Dad didn't think that that was good enough. So, um, he actually on me, he used the back billet on a saddle, which is the back strap that's attached to the saddle that holds the, the back gird on. So is that and like so really that, thick leather? It is. It's very okay. thick. It's probably half inch thick. And yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's very unforgiving. Yeah. How, what was the oldest you were when you got treated to that? Uh, I was probably the last time I got whooped was, I was probably, I bet I was a freshman in high school. Hmm. Last time I got whooped. And then <laughs> after that, dad was like, well, you know, it's, it's not doing any good. So no sense <laughs> in wearing my arm out. <laughs> yeah. Right. He just, you know, went to, went to other, other opportunities, you know, taking my truck away from me or, you know, whatever, whatever would really get in my head at the time did chris try to have any influence over you at at that point in your life no because you know he would just kind of sit back and snicker um chris was uh in school he was you know he was the poster child in school he was a good student made great grades but he was kind of kind of rough and tumble too he he wouldn't really i guess defy authority the way I did, but he was he was in fights a lot in school, mainly for sticking up for somebody else or something like that. But uh, no, he didn't. He never really said anything to me about the way I was acting, because I guess he was kind of kind of on the same lines. What was the age he was difference? Just let me. We're four years apart. Yeah, so he was he had graduated before I came up to be a freshman but he actually he showed up my first day of my freshman year and it was it was a tradition for the seniors to uh they called it will something to the freshmen or sophomores and you know most of them would uh will their parties or detentions or whatever to the freshmen but uh Chris decided that he was going to come up there and in our school, in the center of the school, we had an open area. We had a concrete statue. It was a panther. And that was our, our mascot. And the seniors would always try to make the freshmen ride the panther. Well, Chris came up, stood up there by the panther and held up two Chris $50 bills and said, Anybody that can put my brother on the Panther today gets both of these for the rest of the year after today. It's 50. So, you know, I basically had to fight my way through my freshman year 
because he put a basically put a bounty on my head. So, <laughs> oh, brotherly love. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I I don't know if he was a good influence or bad influence, but. When you went into the Marines, I think you went in infantry. Will you just talk about that, why you chose that specific route? Or was that just because of your your friend's dad? Was there any other reason on the infantry side? Well, um, you know, I mean, I I never wanted to to do anything but be in the infantry. You know, I always wanted to, to be on the front lines and, you know, do the dirty work. And so, you know, for me, there was... There was no other option, you know, that I didn't even consider anything else. You know, I didn't think about life after the military, you know, if I wanted to have any kind of career and or trade or anything like that. So, you know, I always, always wanted to be on the infantry side. Anything you would do different? No. Would, would, you, no. Not, would you still do infantry if you could go back? I would still do infantry, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't have any regrets the route that I took at all. It was, uh, you know, it was a good time. There's a lot of, a lot of hard times, a lot of crappy times, but you know, all in all, it, I think it, I think if I would have gone any other route, um, it probably, probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have shaped me to, you know, come out of my, uh, I guess rebellious stage. Um, it made me grow up a lot. And, you know, I had a lot of friends that were in other MOSs and things like that. And, you know, now, now granted, there are a lot of, a lot of infantry guys that never grew up, but, uh, I definitely think it, it worked on me. How did your life growing up and then also being 21 when you went in, I mean, how did that affect you and how, and how was the training for you physically and mentally at that age? I think I had, I had a, an advantage because being a little older and being out on my own for a while, um, you know, experiencing life a little bit and having to pay my own bills and having to answer to, to a boss and suffer consequences. If you don't, you know, don't do what you're supposed to at work, things like that. You know, a lot of the kids that I was in there with were 17, 18 years old and never been away from home and had mom and dad, do everything for them. So I definitely had a, had an advantage on that, you know, but it, uh, the training wise, you know, I, I thought I was in shape when I went in, but you know, I found out pretty quick that I wasn't, um, mentally I was prepared for it. Uh, a lot of it was because of how I was raised. So the yelling, screaming in my face, stuff like that didn't bother me. You know, I didn't, I didn't break down for any of that, but, uh, the, the physical aspect of it, yeah, I definitely wasn't prepared for that, but, you know, it didn't take long for, for me to, to get where I needed to be. And, you know, I wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna stop and I was just gonna push through it and do what I had to do. What was the hardest part? Uh, well, and what in, in the Marines, is it called uh, boot camp or what do you call the, the, it's intro? boot camp. Boot camp. Okay. What was the hardest part of that for you? I think it was just just the constant unknown because, you know, we never we were always kind of in the dark on everything. It was it was never, you know, we had a schedule that we knew, you know, it was, you know, hurry up and do this. And then, okay, you didn't do it fast enough. Let's 
run over here and do this. Okay, that wasn't good enough. Let's go over here and do this. So it was, it was constantly a you know a beat down that you weren't that you're not good enough. To me, that was that was the toughest. I know my my brother Mark was 26 when he went in when he enlisted, and so he was definitely okay. an old man. <laughs> yeah, I remember him some you know telling me sometimes how he was just amazed at some of the things that the that the 18 year olds were worried about and how some of they were behaving kind of drove him crazy because because mark was there because he absolutely wanted to be there he had plenty of other options he graduated college and he's like no i'm here i'm here to train to help eliminate terrorists and so he just didn't like people who weren't focused on right excelling through the training and then moving on to your next you know assignment right right and, and that was tough in boot camp you know because you had guys there that you know, they just wanted uh, to just get through it. You know, they didn't want to succeed. They didn't want to excel. You know, and they didn't care who they brought down, you know, in in the meantime. You know, it was – there was a few of them that were, you know, the constant cancers in the platoon that would, you know, make everybody suffer. Um, and that, that was hard, you know, because – no matter how well you liked everybody else, you know, it was a team and you had to function like that. And, you know, a lot of the, because of the, the age, I think, you know, a lot of the guys are, you know, they're there for themselves. And, you know, it was, it was a little different atmosphere, uh, mentality wise, I think, when I went in because, there was nothing going on. There wasn't any conflicts going on. What year so was it, Jeff? It was 2000. Okay. So I went in January of 2000. So, you know, there wasn't anything going on, and there wasn't anything, you know, just on the near horizon that we knew of, you know. But uh, I I was always looking for that. That's, you know, I was always pushing myself for that day, you know, whenever that day came, you know, I knew that I had to, I had to be ready and I had to be, be there to, to help my brothers that were, that were with me. So what happened next as far as deployments go? What, what was your first mission or deployment? So in, uh, 2003, so in, in 01, I was in, uh, Okinawa, Japan. We had gone to Japan, uh, the unit that I was with was third marines and we were based out of hawaii so every every year our kind of deployment cycle before iraq kicked off was we would go to japan and train um we would jump we would actually train for jungle warfare you know because that's that's what everybody thought that we were going to be doing at the time so we were constantly training in the jungles of japan and getting sweaty and getting nasty and, you know, swamp foot and everything like that. So, um, but 2001 happened and we, uh, we got stood up to deploy, um, you know, and of course there wasn't a whole lot, a whole lot of the infantry units that were doing anything outside of special operations. So we were kind of put as, like a guard detail almost. So we, we went around Japan to all the bases in Japan and shut those down and basically, I guess in a way became, uh, the military police. So.
so you know we were running checkpoints and things like that running boat operations off the coast things like that you know there was they were always getting threats bomb threats and things like that coming onto the bases so we kept a kept a close eye on that 2003 is when my unit first deployed we uh we went to Bahrain and we were an anti-terrorism task force so what we did is they would send us out in small small units uh six to eight man teams and we would board either the navy vessels and provide security for them or we would board the civilian ships that were bringing in supplies and uh you know provide security for them as well because you know they were worried about all the all the pirates and things like that um we assisted some of the seal teams to recover you know unexploded ordnance so we would be their uh top side security basically when they dove to get ordnance things like that where was um, this ordnance from was this old stuff it was old ordnance it was ordnance that had been uh been shot off that you know either didn't reach its destination or just hit where it was supposed to and never exploded um you know so it was it was from both sides so you know they were just gathering it up and getting rid of it you know we did some of that did a lot of helo operations up and down the river and out in the gulf tracking some of the boats and we would board the ships that were, you know, possibly bringing in uh, foreign fighters, things like that. We would check all the manifests, you know. So it was. We did a lot of water operations. Is basically what our our first deployment was. Were you worried about any suicide missions at that point from some of these people you interacted with? We uh, we did have some a couple close calls with. They called them cigar boats. They were just you know, amped up fishing boats that would, you know, try to make a run at us at some of the ships that we were on. And, you know, I mean, of course, you fire a couple rounds at them and, you know, they change their mind real quick. But, uh, you know, we never had anybody that pushed it past, past us firing a few rounds at them. You know, they just, they tested us and, you know, they never, we never had anybody get beyond within our, perimeter so you know there was there was always that thought you know the the command always kept it drilled into us that you know they were there and they were um you know there was always that threat but you know we we never we never experienced that of them actually pushing that limit how many deployments did you have i had three total so the the one to uh bahrain and you know from bahrain then they would send us out wherever they needed us but uh second one in 05 went to africa that was when a lot of the um the warlords were causing havoc over there they would go in and take over villages and uh basically was this the uh, baku haram or i forgot the name of that terrorist organization was it something like i don't that? Even, there's so many that they they've changed names so many times and there's new there's so many different ones that I don't even remember honestly which 
which group it was. I never paid attention to, to <laughs> what group, what the name was. Um, you know, they just told me where to go and what I had to do, and I did it. So, but we did that, and then back to uh, back to Iraq in 2007. And that was my last deployment. Which deployment had the most powerful effects on you? Um, probably 2007. I was, uh, that was when I was with Recon. And so our, our op tempo was, was a lot higher. You know, I, I wasn't in Fallujah. I wasn't in, you know, any of the, the major fights over there, the major battles. Um, you know, some of my, uh, my former infantry units, you know, right after I left my first infantry unit, then they ended up getting deployed to Fallujah. I guess, you know, you know I missed out on that. Um, you know, I guess there's good and bad in that, that I missed out on it because I'm still here. But, uh, mm-hmm. 2007 was probably, probably the, the biggest one for me because, you know, there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of, uh, there wasn't any just all out crazy firefights, but the type of operations that we did, it was a lot of high value targets. So we would gather the intel and train on that and then go in and hit, you know, hit the, the sites that we had to hit and pull the guys out that, you know, that, they were wanting to, to ask questions to. So, you know, that was a lot of what our mission set was at the time. We did a lot of IED hunting. So, you know, we took out a lot of e, uh, EOD guys with us and we dug up a lot of ordnance and blew a lot of ordnance. Um, we helped out a lot of the infantry units that weren't trained in the water. We actually did some of the first water operations in Iraq. So we did, they called it an island hopping campaign. Whenever the tides were down, then they would go out onto the little islands throughout the Euphrates and bury ordnance and, and or dig in themselves and hide out and wait to, when the tide was low again to go back out and do bad things. So Wow, I haven't ever heard of that. Yeah, yeah. So we actually we wrapped up a bunch of guys out on the islands and found a lot of ordnance. Probably the worst the worst thing that the thing that got me was right after we finished up that operation, we were assisting. We were there to, um, I guess we were going off the intel of the infantry unit that had had the dam that we were operating out of, and they were the ones that were they noticed movement out on these islands and they had no way of getting to the islands. So they called us in cause we had the boats and we had everything. We were trained in the water. So we got out there and did it. And after we left, then we turned it back over to the infantry and they sent, sent some patrols out like they always do. And one of the patrols thought they saw something out of one of the islands and there happened to be a little fishing boat that was right there at the shore. And so they called back and asked permission to, to get on the little fishing boat and cross over to that island and go check it out. Well, they gave them permission. And the thing about 
the difference in not only training but gear that the infantry has back at that time versus what uh, the reconnaissance guys had. You know, I mean, we trained in the water all the time, and we wore different types of equipment than what they did. And they they went out, the boat broke in half, they sank, and, you know, a couple of the guys drowned. Well, we had to come back in and recover the bodies. And to me, that was that was worse than anything, you know, having something senseless like that. When we were, you know, just down the road, they could have called us back to go do our job. But, you know, they they sent two fresh guys out in the water that weren't trained in the water and weren't wearing the right equipment. So were they you know, just they, weighed down? Yeah, they, they couldn't get out of their equipment. They couldn't get out of their uh, – they were wearing flight vests at the time. Oh, yeah. And, mm. yeah, so they, they just couldn't get out of it in time. And the Euphrates is a very swift current, um, you know, and it, that's that's just – human nature when you get in the water like that to freak out and you know i mean so it was that was i think that operation or you know that recovery was that's took the the biggest toll on me just because of you know the way it happened when did you get out of the marines i got out in january of 08 okay had you all had you been planning on it or what made you decide to get out I hadn't really planned on it, didn't really think about it uh, while I was on deployment. Um, I actually, I got engaged uh, before I left for my last deployment, and we were planning on getting married <coughs> married as soon as I got back. So basically all I had to do was show up for the wedding, you know, make it home and show up. Um, but when I got back and after the wedding, then it was it was coming up on time for me to either you know shit or get off the pot so um i asked my wife at the time if you know if that's if she wanted me to get out or you know if i'd stay in and she told me that uh you know she said she'd support me whatever i wanted to do well i learned uh, at a young age watching my dad with my mom that uh you know the wife can can say one thing, but their eyes were saying something else. So <laughs> yeah. you know, I definitely listened to that. And I, I decided to get out because, you know, I knew that I wanted to have a family and, you know, being in that community, I knew that to have a family, there was, there was no way that I was going to be able to stay in that community. So I decided to get out and it was the hardest decision I ever made. You know, for one, I didn't have a plan. I just kind of got out and wing it. But, yeah, so, I mean, you know, there's no regrets because I'm still married 13 years later to the same woman. Yeah, and have yeah. two great kids. So so what about struggles that you had, I don't know, either before you got out or, or after? What were some of the struggles that you had from your military service? I never really had any well, I say I never had any issues while I was in, um, you know, nothing, nothing that I ever noticed, I guess, because we were all together all the time. And, you know, it was just how we were. So when I got out and left that, it was, I think everything kind of 
crept up on me and was more noticeable. I guess I was kind of, I brushed it off. I'm good. I don't have any problems, but you know, the anger issues, the sleepless nights, the, you know, um, anxiety, the anxiety was, was bad. Um, you know, I, I actually, the first year of our marriage, I ended up moving away to, uh, to Oklahoma, got a job on a ranch out in Oklahoma because I was just, I was not, I was not a good person. Um, was not a, not a good person to my wife. And, you know, so it was, I thought that it was the, the best choice for me to, to move away and, um, basically get out in the middle of nowhere and get away from people and, you know, kind of decompress, which, you know, looking back on that, that was probably, that was the worst thing that I could have done because, you know, all I did was prolonged it, you know, because while I was out there, everything was fine, but, you know, I wasn't in, wasn't in society really. So I didn't have to deal with any issues, didn't have to think about anything. I was just, you know, out in the middle of nowhere doing my own thing. So did your wife think that you were ever going to come back? She did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was actually, she was, um, going through her doctorate program at the time. So she was busy with school and we would see each other, you know, one, you know, every weekend or every other weekend, either she would come up or I would come down to see her or whatever. Um, you know, and we, we always, we had plans that, you know, as soon as she got out of school, depending on where she got a job at, then I would, you know, make that move to that area. How did you end up dealing with the anxiety? It actually, I didn't deal with it well at all. You know, I just, I kept denying it, kept saying that I was fine. It got to the point to, um, she gave me, basically gave me an ultimatum that, uh, that either I get help or she was leaving. And so I wasn't going to let that happen. And I was actually, I had actually gone, um, the VA here where we live, uh, they have a, a nine, eight or nine week in-house program that, uh, you know, it's, it's a mental health program. And they asked me to come speak to the graduating class. So I actually went out there and spoke to them. You know, I spoke about our foundation and everything that, that I had experienced. And after I was done, one of the guys that was in the class, he was a Marine, and he pulled me to the side and basically called me out and, you know, said that I was, I was talking the talk, but I wasn't walking the walk. And so, uh, he told me that, you know, I needed to be in that, in that class worse than half the people there. And so with him saying that and my wife basically telling me either, you know, do it or we're gone, sought help. Uh, it was outside the VA. It was through another, another organization that, uh, helps veterans and first responders. And so I went through that program and, you know, it, it did a lot for me. Um, you know, prior to that, it was, there was a lot of up and down. There was times that I was fine and there was times that I was, I wasn't fine at all. So, 
you know, it was it it kind of um, put me on an even keel and you know opened my eyes to a lot of things and you know taught me how to how to see a lot of things coming and you know 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 what was bothering me and things like that so you know it's definitely a daily process what year was that let's see that was three years ago okay okay so yeah you're talking about your foundation so obviously Mm -hmm. this is after chris's death correct did his death kind of bring i don't know make your struggles worse it did. It did. Yeah, because um, you know, after after I got out, you know, he was still in for a little while, and um, we were always each other's sounding boards. So we would always see each other after deployments and things like that, and use each other to to decompress and bounce thoughts off of, and just talk shop and figure everything out, and you know, be able to work through things and. Uh, so once he was gone, that was, you know, I didn't have that anymore. And, you know, he was always, he was the guy that was out there, you know, in the front doing, doing everything, you know, for the, for the vets and all that. And, you know, I, so I lost that. So, you know, that, that definitely kind of, I guess, spiraled me out of control a little bit, you know, did a lot of drinking, um, was not a good person at all. So yeah, it, it amplified, it definitely magnified a lot of things. And, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of the, the trigger point for, for my wife. So were y'all, you and Chris really close at that point? We were, he was yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, we, we talked all the time on the phone, um, didn't get to see each other as much as we wanted to, you know, busy life on both sides, but, uh, we definitely talked on the phone a lot. Um, you know, we were there at each other's kids functions and stuff like that. So he was, he was my way to decompress and, you know, I was always trying to be there for him as well. Yeah. How did you get the news of his death? Uh, my dad actually called me. So, the sheriff in the town that uh that my parents live in they he went out and he told my parents the news and so he had uh my dad asked him if I knew yet and they said no we were you know we were going to call him get with him after you know right after we told you so dad said that he wanted to be the one to tell me so he made the phone call and, uh, you know, the, the sheriff in that town had already reached out to the local law enforcement around here and informed them about everything. And so they were, they were definitely out here in force around our place for one to make sure that I didn't leave anywhere and, you know, to make sure that nobody else came in. What was that about, Jeff? I mean, they think that you might have a moment of, you might, you might want to hurt somebody or, or what? Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, I mean, you know, I remember when, when I was on the phone with my dad, you know, he told me that Chris was gone and I, I quit talking. I quit saying anything. I was just listening to him and 
there's a there's a room in my house where I've got my safe and all my my military gear and I was actually I went in that room and opened up my safe and pulled out a few of my my guns and started packing a bag and uh, my dad asked me what I was doing and I told him nothing he knew exactly what I was doing and you know he he pleaded with me to not to not do anything not go anywhere and he told me to look out look out the window and you know he said that uh, there was going to be law enforcement outside that weren't going to allow me to leave and so I you know there was there was some police officers around um, out on the road but uh, you know he he had to had to remind me because I had a brand new baby girl and so he had to remind me that uh, you know I had I had priorities that I couldn't do anything stupid and ruin what I had. So, mm-hmm. so at that point, did, did y'all immediately know who did it? We knew, we knew it was you know whoever this guy was that he had taken to the range. Didn't know anything about him. Okay. Anything like that. Yeah. Jeff, is that true? Um, I just now thought of this that that moment, you know, that's in the movie when when. Chris leaves with that guy. I've, I've just forgotten his name, but and there's a there's an interesting look that they really show, they highlight kind of in the movie. Did, was that? Do you think that was accurate? I definitely think he was he was uneasy. You know, obviously by some of the text conversations that him and uh, Chad had on the way out to the range. I don't think they realized they didn't know what they were getting into until they went and picked him up. And, you know, once they picked him up and I guess some of the things that he said on the way out, he was drugged up real bad. Uh, they didn't realize it. Mm. So, you know, that was, they definitely started getting an uneasy feeling, uh, on the way out. But, mm. you know, I think once they got out there, then, I think he kind of opened up a little more and let their guard down. But I think I, I, I firmly believe that there was probably some uneasy feelings on Chris' side. When my brother Mark was killed, he was the youngest in the family. He wasn't married, had no children. So everything, he had requested simultaneous notifications to our parents and to me. That happened, and then everything after that, you know, all his belongings, there's all kind of type of decisions that have to be made, and it was pretty simple. With Chris being married, and he had he had children too, correct? Right, right. You know, so everything doesn't go through the parents or through, you know, through you, the sibling. And so what was that like? Because, I mean, it's, it's already bad enough just dealing with the death. His was more higher profile, and then you have... I guess you know multiple people involved because he's married and also with children. Then you got parents who have their baby boy here. You've got your brother that you're close to. What was that whole dynamic like? It was, uh, you know, that was that was the hardest thing that that any of us has ever been through. I guess it was just. I know for me, um, I was just kind of in zombie mode. Didn't know. Didn't really know how to how to act was just kind of numb. Um, 
was just kind of in a fog the whole time. Didn't really, didn't really realize what all was going on because there was so much going on, you know, because like you said, it was so high profile. It was, it, you know, it was very uncomfortable because of, you know, the profile that it was. It was, you know, you didn't have time to, to grieve. You didn't have time to really, you know, talk about things within the family. Um, it was just, it was just constant going and, you know, talking to, talking to reporters and, you know, trying to keep reporters away. And, you know, it was, it was just, it, it was chaos, complete chaos. Yeah, I can imagine. Was just about everything going through Taya? A lot of it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, she definitely had, had to say in, you know, just about everything because she was, you know, the wife. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that's how it is, and I, I just remember thinking that in our situation. It's like, man, that would be – it'd be kind of tough, I think, mm-hmm. um, especially – I don't know, because Mark was a baby, but having – I mean, rightfully, legally, that's – that's she's the one, and that's, that's her right. But mm-hmm. I feel like it would have been tough if he had been married and, you know, some of these decisions my parents or me or, or my siblings wouldn't have been able to make. Right. Right. Yeah. Was that hard yeah. for you? It was, it was, you know, cause, um, you know, I mean, we, we know him, we've known him a lot longer and knew him, you know, that much better and knew, you know, knew everything about him and some of the decisions, um, you know, I think everybody was so in shock at the time that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a it wasn't that much of a battle within the family you know there was there was some things that uh, some decisions that were made that they were they were her decisions against ours and you know i mean that's just that's the way it is um you know there's there's no you know animosity on that end of it as far as you know how that went you know because i think i don't i don't know that there was any right decision or any wrong decision at that time yeah. How much involvement did you have in the the movie? None. None. Uh, you know, they didn't. We we met with uh, Bradley Cooper and Clint Eastwood one day. Um, you know, and that was that was before they had cast anybody, before they had you know really done much of anything. Um, they didn't. I think they had Chris had started working with the uh the writer um so they had you know some of the some of the script already written and um but after that day there was there was we we had no say in it um everything went through her so that that was tough and definitely after after seeing the movie that was definitely tough on you know how that how the movie came out you were just like everybody else wondering, well, what's it going to be like? You just had to go see, huh? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they had a private viewing for us before, you know, it went to the, to the public and it was probably a week, a week or two before it came out was definitely, 
we weren't happy with it. There's nothing that we could do about it. Yeah. What would you change if you could? Um, I would definitely, I, I will say this, that, um, Bradley Cooper did a pretty good job portraying Chris, but everything outside of that, everything outside of Chris's portrayal was, was not, was not good. Um, the way they portrayed Mark Lee in the movie, uh, the way they portrayed me, you know, the way, kind of the way they portrayed my dad. I mean, you know, he never, he never jumped up and, you know, smacked his belt on the table and talked about, you know, sheepdogs and wolves and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, he was, he was a rough guy, but, you know, that wasn't, that never happened. Um, I never ran into, to Chris on the tarmac in Iraq, you know, never cried to him that I wanted to go home, that I wanted to leave that place. Um, you know, Mark Lee is not the, he, he was not the kind of guy to question any kind of operation and question what they were doing. He was a war fighter like the rest of them, you know, and then I just, I think that they, they minimized everybody else in the movie to max, to, to maximize Chris, which I, I get it. That's the point. But, uh, you know, I think they slapped a lot of people in the face by doing so. You know, minimize their, their part in what they had done in their life, you know, and that's, I didn't agree with that, but like I said, they didn't ask our opinion. That actor never contacted me to to find out anything about me you know he just uh he just went off of what uh what certain people told him you know i know yeah. there there was some guys that are close friends of ours that were in the movie and you know once everything was said and done they uh they told him they said you know there's there's going to be a few people that are not going to be happy with this I know it just seems like the right thing to do when you're portraying somebody that you you meet them and right get to know them as best you can in whatever period of time you've got. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, and then I, as far as I know, uh, they never contacted Debbie Lee to to find out you know a whole lot about uh, about Mark. Um, you know, I it was I, I just I don't know I don't I don't think it was very professional and you know i don't i don't think it was done done correct the movie told a story and it definitely um you know brought to light a lot of things and i think it served its purpose by you know opening a lot of eyes you know public eyes to you know to the trials and tribulations that you know the veteran community goes through oh yeah you know I, i i think it i think it did that well but at the expense of some other people. Do you think, was Taya pleased with it? Oh, 100%. Okay. Well, could you ever watch it again? No. Did you watch it more than once? I I watched that private viewing, um, and then I went and did um, another fundraiser with, um, another organization 
and they were actually showing that. And I had to watch it and then spoke afterwards. But yeah, since then, no, I haven't. I haven't seen it. I probably couldn't. And you know, I haven't seen the movie since it came out, and and I, yeah. I enjoyed it. It was a great movie, but I just haven't. Those kind of movies are tougher for me now, uh, yep. especially if there's brothers involved. For some, I just cannot. Even if it's not a war movie, if there's two brothers and something bad happens to one of them, it's tough for me to watch. And so right. I usually won't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you you've been through that too. You know, it's you know, it's there is there's not another punch in the gut in life that you can get outside of you know worse than that notification that you know that you've lost your your brother you know, I've, yeah. I've lost a lot of friends lost a lot of friends on the battlefield and that's you know that's tough you know because they are brothers but that call that i got about chris that was you know because i mean we were out of the military we were done you know and you're you're prepared for that at the time whenever whenever you're deploying you know You've you've accepted that and you're willing to make that call and you know, that's part of it. Not that it makes it any easier, but you know, that's something that, that you always keep in the back of your mind. But when you're out, that's not something that you, you know, really think about. Yeah, sure. Well, I know how almost maybe critical sometimes we are of because people are always doing something. You know, for 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 us, for Mark, they're you know painting pictures uh-huh. or drawings or murals or statues, and and I know you you've y'all have dealt with that with Chris, and and it, it's you know my my parents are you know they're very critical, and uh, uh-huh. that's just they, they that's just, I think that's just a natural thing they can't help it. It's we really appreciate what people do, and they do great jobs, but my parents they just they see their boy, you know I think right. that's, we're just close to him. we see him, and so we'll see the differences, and I can only imagine being on the big screen and seeing not agreeing with how things are portrayed. And you know what? I think that's, that's probably how it goes in Hollywood. Is, is that right, Jeff? I mean, it's, you just, you don't have the say so like you probably wish you had. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure that there's, you know, there's people that, um, you know, have movies made about them that have say in it, but, you know, like you said, the, the distance in the family, um, you know, there's certain people have say and certain people don't. And so we, we were those people that didn't have any say and, you know, we could just hope for the best. Yeah. It is what it is. You know, it, it's a big movie and you know, it, it touched a lot of people. So there you go. It did. It did. And your brother did. I mean, I read his book. So I read it before he was ever killed, and I I loved it, and so I knew, hey, I'll be seeing this movie. I told my wife about it, and uh, of course I remember the awful what happened after that. And what, yeah. what what do you teach your children about Chris? Well, my uh, my oldest, you know, she knew him, so you know she she remembers everything about him. Um, you know, she still talks about him to this day my youngest she was actually born uh six days before he was killed so oh, man. you know that was yeah um and you know he was there 
uh, he, she was actually due, I believe on the sixth was her actual due date. And so she was born, she was actually born on my birthday. I think, you know, it, God had a plan for sure because, you know, he wanted Chris to meet his niece and he wanted, you know, my daughter to meet, meet her uncle before he left. So, you know, that was, that was a godsend that she came early because um, he was there, you know, got to see her, got to hold her. And, uh, you know, of course she doesn't, she doesn't remember him. You know, I mean, she'll say she does, but you know, she was, <laughs> she was brand new. So she, you know, we, we talk about him to her and they're raised, they're raised in the foundation. You know, they, they go with us to, to the events and, you know, they're very present in all the events that we do, you know, because we want them to see the work and what it does and how it affects, you know, the people that we're working for, Um, you know, so, and, and we always tell them, you know, that this is, this is all because of uncle Chris, you know, he's, he's the one that set the foundation and, you know, so we're just continuing on with it. Man, I couldn't imagine. So six days, then you get this news and then you're in a, you're a walking zombie for, However long after that, your your poor wife was she just kind of alone for a while? She was, yeah. You know, I people definitely they don't give her enough credit. That's for sure. She is definitely the glue that held our family together. She had to not only deal with a toddler, but also a brand new baby, and a maniac husband and in-laws that were, you know, grieving. And, you know, she somehow held it all together and kept us all going and loved us all through it. Is her name Amy? Amy. Amy, man, Amy, golly, I I can only (laughs) imagine. I mean, I just know we didn't have any kids when we went through it and, and I was still, I wasn't present for months and months and right. my poor yep. wife was, you know, I, I was here. I was physically here. Usually not always. I mean, there's always an event, right? Golly. And she's recovering physically from a, a birth and then having right. the two little ones and then all the yeah. hype and everything, man, that, that had to be so tough. Yeah. You know, because, and you know, like you said, you weren't present, you know, I was not present mentally or physically i purposely kept myself going doing uh going on talk shows uh interviews traveling doing all this kind of stuff just to just to keep my mind off of it you know so i mean i wasn't home at all and you know i when i was home you know there was there was a baby that was crying and you know, needing love and stuff like that. And I wasn't able, I wasn't able to provide that to her, you know, cause I was, was not, I wasn't in, in the right state of mind, you know, and I yeah. would, I would have to, you know, hand her off and, you know, go away cause I just couldn't, couldn't deal with it. So yeah, I mean, you know, my, my poor daughter, you know, she didn't, she basically didn't have a dad, I'd say for the first year of her life. 
Yeah. You know, and when I was, I was, you know, a, a complete mess. So what are you doing now? You've got American Valor Foundation. I think you've got U.S. Tactical. We just talk about the things you're doing. Yeah. So uh, in 2014, you know, we started the foundation. Um, we started it with one event and it was a team roping event. And then after the team roping, then we had, you know, a dinner and music and auction and stuff like that. And we did that to raise money to give to another organization. That was, you know, that was what we had started. And we didn't know that it was going to be an annual deal. And after after the first one, um, you know, we were, it was crazy. We raised... 115,000 in that one weekend and donated all of that money to that other organization. And we saw what that did and the way it made us feel. So we're like, man, we gotta, we gotta do this again. And so we did it the next year. And I think we raised, you know, 150,000 or something like that. And donated that to uh another charity and then i think you know the following year i believe is when the movie came out so that year we actually raised about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars and donated that to charities then you know we kind of we took a step back and we're like you know this is this is something that we need to do this you know constantly and you know because it 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 helped us heal not only us ourselves, but being able to to do that for for the other organizations and the other you know veterans and first responders. So we just kept cranking it out and coming up with new events. And people would come to us, hey, you know, let's let us you know set up this event and you know run it through American Valor. And so we just started doing that and you know, talking about it and everything. And, you know, the, the everyday person, that's our, that's our main, um, contributor. You know, we don't have any real big, um, annual contributors that just give large sums of money to us, you know, so we, we get out there and we hustle and, you know, get donations from just the general public we the amount of money that we've been able to raise and the amount of money that we've been able to give back to the veteran community to the first responder community um you know is is far beyond anything that we ever dreamed of so it's we do not only do we still give to the other organizations and you know there's only a couple of them that we continually give to but most of them we try to find new organizations that are out there that are you know doing really good work and doing the right thing and keeping the percentage right yeah you know there's 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 a lot of organizations out there that you know they have a lot of overhead and they have a lot of employees and you know that we don't we don't like that we don't operate like that so we make it you know we keep it to the ones that are you know given at at first you know it was excuse me they had to be a a 90 10 organization 
you know, nowadays it's hard to find that just because of overhead. Um, but we try to keep it as close to 90, 10 as possible. Um, you know, and then we, we give a lot to individuals and, you know, when I say individuals, we don't just write them a check. If, you know, if somebody needs, uh, medical bills paid for, then we get with the hospital and we pay the bills. If, um, we've paid car loans, you know, paid off cars for, for individuals, you know, we go straight to the bank and pay that. <coughs> Excuse me. So we don't actually give the money to the individual, you know, cause unfortunately somebody gets a large sum of money in, you know, not all the time it goes mm-hmm. exactly where it's supposed to. Oh yeah. So we make sure, you know, we make sure that, that, you know, it goes right where it's supposed to. We did, we paid about $15,000 for a first responder and his family. Their daughter was diagnosed with cancer. And not only is he a first responder, but him and his wife both are veterans. And they live in our community, and we heard about it through the grapevine. And we, uh, we reached out to them and, you know, said, hey, we, you know, we'd like to help any way that we can. And, you know, they were very proud and they said, you know, I think we're, I think we're doing okay. We don't need any help. Um, you know, we've got things in place, you know, kind of moving, moving money around, doing this, doing that. And we kind of dug in a little deeper and actually got with the police department and found out some more and, um, found out that they were on the verge of, you know, losing their home because of the medical bills and things. And so, we stepped up and paid their bills and, you know, kind of, kind of got them back on track. And that family is, you know, I mean, they're a part of our family now, you know, we have barbecues with them, you know, our kids go to school together, they play together. Um, you know, they volunteer with the foundation, you know, they do a lot of stuff with us and, you know, there's nothing more rewarding than that to see, you know, to be able to help out, a family like that and in turn you know seeing their growth and them kind of you know paying it forward doing the same thing you know and that's that's what we that's 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 what we look for you know we we don't look for any any thanks to us we don't look for any hype or anything like that it's just you know we want to help people out and in turn we want them to turn around and help somebody else out too so it's AmericanValorFoundation.org, is that right? Yes, sir. Yes. So out, you know, we our big fundraiser is the Chris Kyle Memorial Benefit, and we always have that the first weekend in May. The past few years, we've had it in Fort Worth, Texas. You know, me and Chris growing up spent a lot of time in Fort Worth, so that was kind of a, a fitting place to have it. Um, but uh, so yeah, it's AmericanValorFoundation.org or chriskylememorialbenefit.com. The benefit is people get it confused. They think that they're two separate foundations. The only foundation is American Valor, and our main fundraising event is the benefit. Okay. So it all it's all, it's all tied to one. And then there's, is there also a Chris Kyle Frog? Something I saw. Is that right? <laughs> There is one out there, but uh, 
myself and my parents have nothing to do with that. Okay. All right. I figured there were some other ones out there. Yeah, people people like to to use his name and likeness to to make money. That's for sure. Man, have you? Oh, this we could go on about this. I bet you. But have you had to deal with that, Jeff? Uh, and maybe it goes through Taya, but of people that are maybe they create a profile on Facebook and they use Chris's uh-huh. picture and say it's them. And yeah, yeah, uh, I've I've dealt with a lot of that myself. Um, fortunately, it. And the thing of it is, you know, I mean, that could be a full-time job for somebody to to find that stuff, you know, because they're out there everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, every time somebody, if if I see one, then, you know, I, I reach out to them. And nine times out of ten, they, you know, they shut it down, you know, because they've been caught. Um, you know, and I've never had to take legal action as of yet. I, there's no way that I could spend my day, you know, fighting that. It's just, that's, it's a losing battle. Yeah, that's right. You know? it, it is. It's kind of like, um, when I was a full-time missionary for two years, I, I realized early on, I couldn't, I couldn't argue or fight with everyone who didn't like me because they didn't agree with what I was doing. So it's like, you know what? Right. I'd be doing it all day. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, all we can do is the ones that we find and we reach out to them. And if, you know, if nothing happens, then, uh, you know, we let, we let the general public know that, you know, it's a farce and not to deal with them. So, yeah, I, I know you deal with that more than me because Chris's name is so much bigger. Um, but Jeff, what else, anything else you want to share about, about you or your foundation or any of your work or anything else, you know, for you and your family? <clears throat> Something that I'm very proud of outside the foundation and my family is uh, the business that I'm associated with. It's uh, United States Tactical, and they were kind of kind of a saving grace for me at the time. It was almost four years ago. Uh, the owner of this company, it was an import company, backpacks and bags and things like that reached out to me uh he's actually the company is here locally where i live didn't know anything about it you know didn't know they were here had never met the owner through a friend a friend of mine reached out and said hey this guy wants to wants to get in touch with you wants to talk to you about something so i reached out to him and we set up a meeting and i went up to his office and talked about things and you know, it was it was at the time where I was kind of bouncing from job to job. Um, this was before I actually went through my uh, my mental health program. Okay. And um, so he reached out and he offered me a job. He wanted to start an American-made company and provide uh, tactical gear to the military and to law enforcement. Uh, he didn't know, you know, no, no military background, no law enforcement background, anything like that. So he asked me to kind of head it up and come up with the designs and, uh, you know, use my, my background and my contacts to, uh, to try to push it out there. And funny when I was in the military, you know, growing up horseback and stuff like that, we would always have things broke. And so we learned how to, stitch saddles and repair leather and stuff like that. And so, you know, I could, I could sew a little bit, you know, stitch up my jeans and things like that. 
but uh so he asked me to come on and start the start the line and um come up with the designs and test them out and build the prototypes and i was like wait a minute you know you want me to sit a sewing machine and you know (laughs) stitch things together so that's what i did and you know we went to our first show uh trade show with like eight products and they were all prototypes we had no stock at the warehouse we had a tremendous pre-sale pre-orders and so we were all kind of shocked and so we got back and busted our butts and now we're uh, i've got a few products in the military that they're using um i support a lot of the law enforcement departments um with a lot of their stuff a lot of their gear uh, mainly on the you know the swat side and the canine side um so but you know they he kind of he offered me a a gold mine you know to to come in and you know it was kind of my saving grace to to find a a job that that i enjoy and something that kind of keeps me keeps me in the in the game with my yeah. brothers and yeah. you know so this is your so, full-time job this is this is this is my only paying job that i have yeah okay. i was wondering so, what, what you did but and I, yeah, and I, I yeah, see so. how you you got the connection a portion of the sales goes to american valor foundation too yeah so that was that was a big uh that was that was a big surprise for me um you know they called me the general manager and the owner called me in the office and you know they've been they've been donating and stuff like that and um kind of sponsoring things here and there for the for the foundation and um you know he they see they see the pride that i that that i take in the foundation and my family takes and the work that we put into it and um they uh they wanted to get on board so they you know offered up a percentage of all sales goes back to the foundation so that was that was a huge huge deal for us to be a part of that oh yeah well, Jeff, yeah, this is great. Thank you. I'll have links to that as well to UnitedStatesTactical.com. I'll have American Valor Foundation. I'll have the uh, Chris Common World Benefit. So really appreciate your time. Well, man, I appreciate you. I, I appreciate everything that, that you do. It's I know the in some of the questions that you had sent me before, you know, the, the siblings get forgotten about. You know, mm-hmm. I I agree. I, I firmly believe they do, you know, and I know you can attest to that. You know, it's it's about it's about your brother. It's about your sibling. And, you know, sometimes sometimes that can be a hard pill to swallow. We we do get forgotten about, you know, I mean, we, we do things ourselves. And, you know, it's of course, we're doing it because of them. But uh you know, they people forget what the siblings and what the family goes through whenever it's lost. Yeah, yeah. So I I appreciate what you do, what your family does, with the podcast, with y'all's foundation. It's it's great stuff. 